We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. So, hey, um, we're very close friends, and I'm biased, but he really is uh, the smartest man I know and has seen more and done more than any hundred men I know or women. Ron Layton, good morning, sir. Marty, good morning. Thanks for having me back on KDK. Man, I love seeing you. You know that. His family's here. Uh, he worked. You worked for four presidents. Four, I did. Tell tell our listeners who. Uh, I you know the the way the Secret Service works is you start in a field office doing investigative work, and and that's a lot of the core of the agency. That to be quite honest, a lot of people don't know, don't realize. But after that. If you're fortunate enough, you get selected for one of the uh, Washington, D.C.-based assignments. So for me, uh, I got selected to go to the presidential detail uh, at the tail end of Bill Clinton. And then the next uh, assignment was uh, into George Bush through one of our uh, milestone events as a country, 9-11. Then after that, uh, silly enough to put my hand up to try to get into the supervisory ranks, which means that you've got to kind of take a different track, uh, move around a little bit, take some different assignments, which, which I did, and then was able to come back for Mr. Obama <clears throat> to do several jobs there. And then ultimately, when I finished my career, I finished uh, three years ago, uh, worked for uh, Mr. Trump. So I, I wanted you to hear that because he has seen it and lived it. And I'm curious about the state of affairs in America because you're in the heart of it and you're there when all the threats come in and you analyze the threats for four different presidents. Based on what you know and what you see in America right now, is this the angriest you've ever seen in the country? Yeah, it's it's hard to put an angry index on it, only because I'm I'm too young to know about the volatility of the uh, late '60s. Right. So if if you JFK, could, RFK, MLK, right. yeah. Not only that, continual riots in the street. Uh, look at what happened in in Pittsburgh. So I, I imagine that that was probably a, a little worse just because you had national figures that were assassinated. Um, but the general level of decline and anger, you know, we see it much more because we've got social media available. And so that really, you know, it's in your face in a 24-hour cycle. And so you've got, you remember, you know, in, in, okay, so we're in Pittsburgh. There right. only ever used to be three channels. That's right. Two, four, and 11. That's right. Right? Right. Now, no, nobody even talks like that anymore. So the way that we as human beings consume information is very different than it was 30 years ago. And, and so you have people that have decided that they only want to hear one version of one story or uh, they, they get together in a, in a group that's kind of, uh, let's use the word, insular, meaning you only get around like-minded people. So there's a tendency of it to be a little bit of an echo chamber. And so there's, you know, there's this term called confirmation bias. If you see or you think something that's true, even though when there's evidence to the contrary, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You, you kind of believe what you believe, and you're around people who believe the same thing. So it's very difficult for you to listen to outside 
opinions. And we've got young people who are growing up within that paradigm. So as these people get into their middle age, hopefully you start to say, I need to widen my aperture a little bit and understand that there are two or three sides to every story. But but one of the hardest things that, that is most difficult is any type of cultural transformation. Culture is a hard thing to change. And here's the other thing, Marty, I've said this before. Once you learn something and you believe that it's true, right. whether you learned it as a kid, once you believe it's true, it, you know, and maybe we're going to talk about, you know, police uh, interactions with the public, all right. that kind of stuff. Once you learn something, it is much, much, much harder to unlearn it. And so it, let's say you believe something and it's absolutely false, whether it's the way you treat somebody or whether it's a piece of information about whatever it is. In order to walk that back, you, you literally have to rewire your brain. And most people don't realize how hard it is to push that stuff out for the information that's actually more factual. Ron Layton joining me. has two PhDs, um, worked with four presidents, and, and he's my man and my guru for this stuff. So Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, all of them experienced threats. But with social media, within the Secret Service, is it now more dangerous for a president? So I think it's more complex. There's a really interesting, like, Pittsburgh kind of connection with how presidents are protected in the modern day and how uh, business is done today versus even in, in the uh, Clinton era. So uh, there's this place down the road, you might have heard of it, it's called Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. So Carnegie Mellon, for about 25 years, the Secret Service has detailed agents that was their full-time assignment to Carnegie Mellon. Oh. And so why would they... Why would you do something yeah, like yeah. that? You would do that because you need those big brains, and I'd like to think that we sent our more technologically competent people to Carnegie Mellon to work on what was, you could start to see this in Clinton, the technological landscape was changing and the threat environment was changing, and technology and computers had a really, really big influence on the way that uh, presidents are protected. So if you think about it, when a president walks into a building, that building is not just four walls and a couple of rooms. Right. That building, that's a smart building. So that building, it, guess what it's doing? It's talking to a network. And all of the individual things that control that building that could really cause a big problem for right. the Secret Service, those things are talking to other computers. And so think about an environment where you could take somebody that the Secret Service protects, a vice president, a president, whoever, and a hacker hack in to one of those uh, complex networks and keep you in the elevator and then attack you. Well, you can't move them because you're stuck in the elevator. Or think about those kinds of things that technological advancement has made protecting people much, much, much more difficult. So to go back to your original question, right. is it harder and is it more complex today? Yeah, it sure is. Is it? It is, of course. And do we keep up? And I always say this because... I have friends in the FBI who have complained for generations about their computers and technology. Does the Secret Service keep up with the bad guys? So every organization in, in federal law enforcement has been playing defense because you kind of have to. So it, it's, it's I, I call it, it's the transformation. Secret Service is an old economic crimes group, counterfeiting, forgery, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you, you go from paper, those forgeries, to digital, meaning that credit card, and all of a sudden, credit cards changed a lot because those, those, that information is housed in a database. And that's 20 years ago. So now it's all about 
keeping up with this thing called computer intrusions, ransomware, that kind of stuff. So at every step along the way, the Secret Service has had to adjust build capacity to investigate those kinds of crimes. But guess what? Those same skills that we use or that the organization uses from a technological perspective to protect presidents that go into a building, remember I just talked about yeah, those yeah. networks, it's the same skills to chase bad guys. So one is kind of complementary of the other, and that's really, really one of the coolest things about the Secret Service that, again, most people don't realize. So it's not just staying pace with the bad guys. It's also building capacity to, to enhance protection activities. But, yes, it's all much more difficult than it ever was. Ron Layton joining me. We're talking about Secret Service protecting the president. We're talking about COVID, and we're talking about cops that don't want to get the vaccine. Next. So tonight, I'm going to dinner with Ron and my wife. Ron's one of my close friends. And we're going to dinner at Leogretta, this fantastic place. My man from Leogretta, Chris, says, I could listen to that man talk all day. He loves you. Who doesn't? Tell me how to have higher standards. Yeah. All right, let's get serious. Because this is something I have a lot of close friends who are cops who refuse to get vaccinated. Right? Right. You have a vaccine? Oh, absolutely. Why? Well, okay, so I'm a, you know, I, you know I, I've got a background in science and engineering, and I, and I did what I would hope a lot of people would do. Um, you, you, I, I read lots and lots of uh, medical journals. I'm not a medical doctor, but I, but I do have a couple of PhDs. So I, I looked at what, um, I, I looked and listened to the, the smartest scientists in the world. And I, I decided that it made much, much, much more sense because science is, science is not binary. It's not yes or no. You're looking at lowering your risk of disease. That's why a lot of people got bent out of shape when you would find out that people got a shot and then they still got it and then people said, see, you still got it. Well, it doesn't stop you from getting the COVID-19 virus. What it does do is it keeps you out of the morgue. That's what I, I was interested in. And I would imagine that's what everybody else is yeah, interested but, but, in. But you're a lifetime law enforcement guy. He has two PhDs, worked for four presidents. You've seen it all twice. But you also know cops. Uh, how many of your friends are dead from COVID? Co- who are law enforcement? Dead. Um, I just had uh, one of the bosses that I worked for uh, 15 years ago that just passed away that my understanding is I'm told yeah. uh, that he refused to, to, to get a shot. All right. Help me out with this. What the hell's going on? So here's where I think some people have gone, and I, I, I get it from the perspective of, of being a scientist. You're going to simply say, listen, this is emerging science. It happened really fast. I hear one thing from government authorities, and then I hear something else from somebody else. And when someone already doesn't want to do something and right. you hear mixed messages, it kind of makes you go, see, they don't know what they're doing. Or you'll hear, to be honest, you'll hear competent scientists say, all of the data isn't in yet. Or you'll see a change in whether it was masks or anything else. But what happens is, and, and I would tell you this as a scientist, as the data becomes more robust, meaning as you learn more, a lot of times that's a shift in behavior, right? So that's what that means. But for somebody listening, you're going to sit there and go, you guys still don't have a full picture yet. So in other words, you have people that are, that are simply saying this. As the data is becoming emergent, it really means you're not sure yet. 
And so they've decided to hang their hat on that. Now, here's the other thing is that all that aside and everything else that I just said, I don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that if I hear that there's a thousand people in the hospital and 920 are people that did not have a shot. Like, that's probably all. I know, that. man, but cops don't care about that, brother. Well, they don't. And here, here's the thing. Why? When you, so, so, Come on, man. So as a culture, yeah. this, you know, police officers, we huh. have been among the most resistant to change <laughs> yeah. ever. And, and by nature, we, we, we don't mind complaining. Okay? So uh, it's not just this. It's, a, you know, so I can remember nice. old timers that had wheel guns, revolvers. And then when these things called a semi-automatic came out, those things jam, I, I, don't, I don't need them damn things, Strong. all right? And then after that, I remember, you know, old-timers that didn't want to wear a vest because right. it was heavy and stuff like that. Or, or, or how about the guys that won't wear a seatbelt? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, I mean, you're going old school on me yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so there's that. I remember, too, to take it back to technology, when this thing called email became emergent, <laughs> Guys didn't want to use email because they said, I don't want them watching me. I don't know what they, I, okay. I don't want them. To. So the point is, is that th- there are certain milestones in law enforcement, if you go back 50 years, where you can see that let's just be nice and gracious here. The, the Us cops, we were the last adopters. Nice. We were not nice. early adopters. Nice. And, and, and this is very similar. And, and nice. so here's the other thing, too. You overlay that with everything else that's going on in the cop world. Yeah. It's hard to be a cop today, much harder than it's ever been. It's hell. And then the, the other thing, too, is there's always, let's just call it a chasm between, you know, rank-and-file officers and executive management. Absolutely. It's just the way that it is. And here's the other thing. And this is like the cherry on top. You don't tell me what to do. Nice. But their buddies are dying, man. Yeah. Yeah, but I got to tell you something too. Yeah, there's a difference between somebody saying you don't tell me what to do. I don't like the mandate, but I did get the shot. Yeah, I yeah. just don't like the mandate. So some of it is is that, and probably some other things that I missed. But I got to tell you something. I took a lot of trips with the uh, president of the United States, multiple presidents, and you know you go to these foreign countries, and you know what the White House medical unit says. Taking these shots, brother. They don't even. Say, they say roll your sleeve up. And you get and you all kinds of stuff. You kidding me? Now here's the other thing too. Last I checked, I haven't gotten measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, and guess what? Most of the folks listening have not either. Why? Why do you think that is? Maybe because you got a shot. Ron Layton, the man. We're going to talk about security. We're going to talk about Secret Service. We're going to talk about Biden. We have to, and this ridiculous go Brandon crap. And we're going to talk about race. We got to next. Oh, we're back. <laughs> Think about it is, is that um, Ron is one of my close friends, and uh, we just start talking, and I forget that we actually have a talk show here. Ron doesn't, actually. All right, so let's, let's finish up the conversation about the vaccine and cops. My man, there's some startling numbers. 48% of L.A. cops are vaccinated. The county is over 80%, regular folks. What is that, man? And hold on, should there be a mandate? Should there be? You better get vaccinated, my man, or, or don't come to work. So in certain, Pull the mic a little closer, please, buddy. In, in certain professions, you really don't have a choice. You see what's going on in the military. And right. the truth is, I mean, we're talking about this vaccine, but even going to boot camp, I mean, they will hit you and load you up with that gun, and they will hit both arms, and it's like an assembly line. Is it? Oh. Yeah, and, and, and again, 
for the work that I did, you go over to the White House medical unit, and that's what you hear. Roll so if here. you were traveling overseas, right, to protect you, they would just give you a bunch of vaccines. And, and you don't have any choice about it. But here's the thing that's a little different, and, and particularly the way that I look at it in a, from a, a leadership perspective. It's not just protecting you. You know, this is an unusual job in that you are in very close proximity to the most powerful man in the world. And in this case, uh, the most powerful uh, woman in the world. So the, the point is, you cannot be a vector to infect them. It's it's not any more complex than that. Now, I was reading about some of the stuff that's going on out in Los Angeles. The sheriff's department, who you don't hear about quite as much, but they're about as big as L.A. Police Department. They oh, yeah. are very large oh, uh, yeah. law enforcement. The sheriff, as, as I read, is not going to enforce the mandate. So it's going to be interesting to see how these things, you know, most of the time, most of our remedy in society in one way or another is a court. And so we will see what happens in the court system. But, you know, so many times in court, we've, we've kind of been here uh, before. In 1905, as most folks know, or maybe you don't know, Supreme Court held up vaccines for uh, smallpox. Oh. So, so much of this is a revisitation of, of, of that in terms of um, court precedent. So it will be interesting to see what, what, what's going to happen. you got a, also a large problem in in Baltimore, a big problem in Chicago, and as I said, the the L.A. S.O. Uh, sheriff, I think it's Sheriff B. Well, they sued here. Yeah. Um, the sheriff said, he's a fantastic guy, a Pittsburgh cop forever, fantastic leader. He said, get vaccinated by December 1st or get fired. They're so angry with him. He's trying to save their lives, man. So the question to me becomes, are, are you railing against the common sense approach of, you know, you, you take a look at the data and you go get the shot, or are you railing against governmental authority saying, I have to? No, that's a great point. And I think that's what that's where most people are. It's kind of like, hey, look, you, uh, Mr. Big Government, you, you don't tell me what to do. And I think that influences what, what we're seeing, because many of these people are actually vaccinated. They just don't appreciate being told that you have to. A guy like you, who has been in the Secret Service, has protected four presidents. Have you had more than 30 vaccines in your life? Oh, sure. yeah. You know, there's a little, just a little inside baseball here. There's a shot card that's a yellow card. And every time that you showed up at the White House Med Unit, you bring your shot card oh. and they would, they would stamp it and give you a little sticker. And then by the time you get to be an older guy like me, you get all the stamps on it. You got your shot, shot card and it looks like a, uh, you know, it looks like a, a, a series of, uh, uh, postage stamps up and down three cards of vaccinations. Wow. Yeah. Three cards. Yeah. Yeah, because if you if you travel to all of these places, there's going to be an advisory about the things that, that uh, are threats to you when you're over there. So you need the vaccines for so, it. So the guys you work with ever say, look, I know I'm protecting the president, but to hell with this. I'm not doing it. Did anyone I don't, ever do that once? Well, you wouldn't do that and go on that trip. I see. And if you're assigned for that detail, you're going to have a significant problem. Now, I, I do understand now that there are a number, again, now, I'm retired, I'm out three years, but, sure. I, I, you know, my buddies are all, you know, assistant directors or special agents sure. in charge, that kind of stuff. They have a number of per personnel that have said, no, I'm not getting oh. it. Oh. So they can't protect the president. Well, 
I, I don't. I frankly, I don't know I what headquarters is going to do or say. And the organization falls under the Department of Homeland Security. So I suspect that DHS will put out some type of advisory as to courses of action for personnel who decide that they don't want to get the shot. I just don't know what it is. Mm. Your directive to them would, if you were the boss, would you tell them get the shot? Not only so. <laughs> listen to the. What I'm, I hope is a simplistic argue, argument. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Secret Service, people actually think that you take an oath to take a bullet. Now, that that's that in and of itself is not true. You take an oath to the Constitution, like everybody else does. The oath is not to a president, a vice president, a king, or a queen. It's the oath to the Constitution. However, this is an organization that has that is emblematic for being able to stand in the way of danger, whether it's a knife or a bullet or whatever it is, and do that as a part of your duty. So in other words, what you're saying is you may be in a position to get shot, but you're not going to get a get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. It, it really does not make a lot of sense. Hey, you worked with Biden a lot, didn't you? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, when I was uh, on the Obama detail, of course, you know, he was the vice president. And so uh, there were occasions where he would get tactical assets, and I did a lot of the tactical stuff with the counter-assault team. So, yes, on a number of occasions. Good guy? Yes. Is he real nice? Yes. He seems charming. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, they're all different. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think the characteristic that probably is on display most to the American public is the level of, of empathy. Um, so if you look at his history, he's empathetic. Yes. If you look at his history, particularly with his own personal loss, uh, he will often, um, use that when he's talking to citizens about things that have gone on in their lives where, you know, he connects with people by saying, Hey, look, I just lost a son. I lost a early on. I lost kids. I lost a wife. I mean, all of those kinds of things that shape and inform uh, who he is. And the truth is what shape anybody's life but but let's be honest here because he is so honest you liked trump you did so let, let's be honest i liked all of them yeah everyone that i i protected it is you know it's very easy to throw stones at any uh national leader just sure. because they do things that that you may personally disagree with yeah uh they are all slightly different when you're in the room and there's no cameras there but with specific regard to Mr. Trump, uh, he is a bold figure. He is right. a bold, uh, charismatic, uh, take-over-the-room kind of a, a person. You thought it was charming. Uh, yeah. He, he, no, he's got, he's got a significant element of charm, uh, a, as did many of the others. Yeah. Uh, but no, he, listen, he is a force. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Ron Layton, folks, one more segment. Can't wait. I'm telling you. When my kids want pizza, I had to bring in Matt Fargo. It's kind of wild because every Wednesday, people start pushing each other out of the way in the hall, right? Yes. For your pizza. They're here, and they want it, and people are coming in. Their shifts are over an hour ago, and they're still hanging out. They still want the pizza. From Slice. Slice on Broadway. My man Rico, we go way back. He gets it. You guys make sure that, I mean, you have this, you know, we order the the gargantuan. Yes. Massive pizza. They're the best. Um, 
I want to ask you, though, because you make so much, all your food is homemade. What is the biggest issue right now? Is it what everybody else says, staffing? It can be. It definitely can be. And I think that the great thing is for Slice on Broadway, we have such a committed staff that has stuck with us through everything. And, you know, that we all know that that's been tough. But now it's just trying to to generate some excitement from the young people. We just got a Wexford location that's been open for a handful of months now. So now we're just trying to to expand things now that we have four locations. I'm telling you, man, last time Rico was here, I said, my man, we go to your place in Carnegie all the time. He said, oh, I know, because he knows the customers that come in. That's it. And that's that's the hometown exactly. Pittsburgh brand. That's what we're about. You know, it's a New York style pie, but it's Yinzer made. It's it's the Yinzer style, the Yinzer handcrafted. So, yeah, it's it's a great thing now where, you know, everybody loves pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? Sure. And it's on full display every Wednesday <laughs> so in this station. <laughs> My man, they're like mice to cheese. Yeah, it's people pushing and shoving. It could be a stampede, and it'd be your fault, brother. So, what ends up happening for you? You have to just get the leftovers, or man, I get hooked <laughs> up all the time. You know that, Matt. <laughs> Matt Fargo from Slice. I'm serious, buddy. We love the pizza. We love having you, and they're wonderful, wonderful people. And it's a family business, and it feels that way when you go in. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Anytime. Happy to be here, my man, Ron. We're going to be headed to Carnegie tonight, Leo Greta. Right? Still deciding if it's going to be the uh, chicken parm <laughs> or the linguine fettuccine. You know what? He's not kidding. Because you and the, my wife were debating the menu, right? And by the way, when you go in there, it's like being in a, in a New York restaurant. Everything's handmade and homemade. It's really cool. Yeah, it's close to the kitchen. Uh, and it's that kind of, I, I'm a little bit of a foodie and I'm a, yep. good, and I'm a good cook. Yep. So no, love that place. Yeah, man. It's right there uh, with Slice. I love Carnegie. And it's the truth about it is, Matt, that Carnegie, and I'm biased because I live a mile from there, it's rocking, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, you talk about where Carnegie was just five years exactly. ago. Exactly. And where it's come from now. All the restaurants, all the stores, it's booming down there. And uh, we just got our storefront redid. I saw that. And new signs coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's it's just uh, it's a great place to be. Our beach view location, obviously, is the, it's the OG. Hell yeah. It's the OG. It's where it started, brother. And then Remember the first night we ate there? We're over there in uh, East Liberty as well. Nice, man. So. It's always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Marty. Appreciate you. My man, Ron, you're the smartest man I know. And I know a lot of people. I can't be more grateful for your wisdom, but most of all, more uh, thankful for your friendship. Seriously. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk. The Pittsburgher, Central Catholic. We're all like part of a family from Central, aren't we? It's a great alumni. It is. I mean, it is unusual, and it goes way beyond Pittsburgh. Yeah, it does. It's deep, man. That's right. It's connected. Don't mess with us. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.